you are listening to Single Serves. My name is Arno Marturet and I am your host. Single Serves is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. For our inaugural season, we have some great guests lined up and you can expect to hear about such topics like social media for architects, organizational culture, criticism in media, and architects not practicing architecture, among many others. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio and follow us on social media under the handle at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. So today I have the pleasure to have with me Bob Hoffman, a former ad exec and an author and speaker of uh, five Amazon bestseller books. Thanks, Bob, for being on the show. My pleasure, Arnold. Thanks for having me. So can you start with telling us um, your story in three sentences or less? Well, I started um, in the advertising business about 300 years ago, and uh, I was CEO of two independent agencies and one international agency. I uh, retired from the agency business in 2013. And since then, I have been writing and speaking about advertising. And uh, I've enjoyed it very much. Actually, my second career has been uh, just as uh, rewarding as my first career was in the agency business. I, it turns out I'm better, I think I'm better at writing about advertising than I ever was at writing advertising, which is interesting to find out. Yeah. What do you see um, having changed in advertising uh, since you started and specifically since the advent of, of the internet? Oh boy, well, uh, let's start with what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed is the consumer. Consumer is consumer needs and wants are the same as they have ever been for the last 200,000 years or so. But um, what has changed is that advertising has become far more short-term oriented, I think. I think when the when internet advertising began, we expected it to be like television advertising or magazine advertising, and that is brand focused. But it turns out it's not as brand focused. It is more um, direct response focused. So if you so if you think of the advertising business, there are like two genealogies of advertising. There's the brand gene, the brand lineage, the Madison Avenue style advertising. Then there's the direct response lineage of advertising, what we used to call junk mail, the uh, do this now kind of advertising. We expected the internet, I think I did, and I think a lot of people did, to be from the brand lineage of every, but it turns out it's, it, it, a lot of it has turned out to be electronic junk mail, you know. Junk mail used to be fill out this coupon now or um, dial this 800 number. And a lot of online advertising has turned out to be, I think, electronic junk mail. Click here now, that kind of advertising. And so based on, on what I know of your writing and, and what you do as a, a public speaker and writer, it seems like it's something that's worrying to you. Why is that? 
it's worrying to me for other reasons, not because, you know, one of the worries of it is that the, the creativity of online advertising, I think, has been very much subpar. And that's because direct response style advertising never had the kind of creativity in it that brand building advertising, that, that advertising from the brand lineage, the Madison Avenue style of advertising. But that, that you know, that, that's an unfortunate fact. The thing that's most worrying about it is not that. The thing that's most worrying about it, there are two things that are most worrying about it. Number one is the amount of data that's being collected about individuals. Advertising never did that to this extent before. And to a great degree, online advertising is really spyware uh, disguised as ads. They follow us everywhere we go. They collect all kinds of information on us. They trade it, they sell it. And uh, for the most part, the public is not aware of this. They're aware of it to some degree, but not to the degree in which it is being done. And there's, I think there's a great danger in marketers having all this information about everyone. Uh, there's no precedent for it. We don't know where it leads. We know what happens when governments have all kinds of information about us. We know that that leads to nowhere good. When they read our mail, when they listen in on our conversations, where, when they know everywhere we go and everyone we speak to. Mm -hmm. We know that's bad. But that's never happened in marketing before. And now it's happening in marketing and we don't know where it leads. And it's very hard to me, for me to believe that it leads anywhere good. The other part of that is that eventually, you know, governments are brilliant at coming up with emergencies that require them to do unusual things. And it, it will not surprise me at all if somewhere along the line, the governments decide that they need all this information about us that marketers have collected. Now marketers try not to cooperate, but at least here in the States, to a large degree, marketers try not to cooperate with governments intruding on their information. But, the, you know, I know that the time will come when, when there will be an emergency in which the government needs to get all this information that marketers have collected. That's one of the things that worries me. The second thing that worries me is the amount of money that is being defrauded from advertisers and marketers. Um, Online ad fraud is reported to be many billions of dollars a year. And the rain, nobody knows really the extent of it. There's no international clearinghouse of fraudsters where they report how much money they've stolen. Mm -hmm. But the best people, the people that I trust who have studied this, think that between 30 and $50 billion annually is being stolen from marketers by independent criminals, organized criminals, govern, uh, organized government criminals. And uh, this is an astounding amount of money. And uh, marketers uh, kind of shrug their shoulders and don't seem to care much about it. And I don't understand why. So when you say fraud, you're talking about getting paid for a service they're not delivering, right? Uh, I'm talking there, you know, there's a, uh, there's so much, there are so many different kinds of fraud that it's very hard for a layman like you or me to understand. You almost have to be a computer scientist or a software engineer mm -hmm. to, to, to understand, to get into the code and see what's going on. Now, the simplest kind of fraud is bot fraud, where software pretends to be either a, where, uh, either a website or 
a, an audience. Mm -hmm. And these bots are just software strings that look to the programmatic ad system like websites. The, the system sends advertising there and sends advertising dollars there, and there is no website. It's just a crook collecting money because at, at, at the, the, the marketer thinks that ads are running on a website and there is no website. So all there is is money changing hands. The other thing is bots pretending that they're an audience, pretending that they're people. And, and, and so you buy uh, an ad uh, and it goes on a website and you think 3 million people have seen your ad and really 100,000 people have seen your ad and 2.9 million bots in other words, software strings have seen your ad. Now, what I am describing to you is the most simple, basic kind of ad fraud. And, and I'm describing it in the most simple, basic terms that the average layman can understand. What's really going on is way more complicated. And um, I can give you later a, a, uh, a link to a, uh, a little cheat sheet on ad fraud done by a guy named Dr. Augustin Fu, mm -hmm. where he shows 25 different types of ad fraud so that you can get a sense of, of what's going on. Now, the other thing is, the only fraud we are aware of is the fraud that we can detect. The whole point of fraud is to avoid detection. Mm -hmm. So there may be all kinds of other frauds going on that we don't know about. But the point is the online advertising ecosystem, particularly the programmatic ecosystem, this, the, the, the computers buying ad time and space from other computers is so complex, so mysterious, hardly anyone understands it. And when people don't understand things, it's, a, it's an invitation to fraudsters to steal. So that, that brings me to a very interesting thought because um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Nassim Taleb, I don't know if you know him. Sure, I do. Um, he talks a lot about uh, how technology and how the world in general is becoming more and more complex and how we're trying to fit um, people into that complexity instead of the other way around and trying to make technology work for people. So I think we see a lot of those themes in what you've described. What, um, what can be done? Like, I mean, I think we've established why this is this should be of concern to anyone and not just people in the industry because it affects pretty much every single person that has a digital presence. Um, but people like me and maybe to to a large extent even you can't really do anything about it other than shouting out from the rooftops. Is there anything else that uh, you want to share that can be done to to limit the impact of those? Yeah, behaviors? Well, I'm not a. I'm not an expert in technology. I'm an advertising guy. So I, I can tell you what I think needs to be done to protect consumers from the, the problems that advertising is creating. And that is, to me, it's become perfectly clear that the advertising industry is not mature enough to regulate itself. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is that we've had all these kinds of problems with, with fraud, with fake news, with, um, you know, our, we, 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 uh, we have lost confidence in the electoral process to some degree, in, in democratic institutions to some degree, because they've been undermined by online thievery and online dirty tricks. And a lot of that is being funded by advertising. If you think about Facebook and YouTube, where a lot of these problems have occurred, where do they get their money? They get their money from advertisers. That's how they make money. And if advertisers were to step up and say, unless you clean up your act, we're not gonna advertise with you anymore, 
that would force these people to do something. Mm-hmm. But right now, the advertising advertisers and marketers and ad agencies keep supporting these people, regardless of how much damage they're doing to society. And, and I think it's the advertising business's responsibility to do this. However, it's become clear to me that we're not responsible enough to do it. So it's time for governments to step in. I'm not a big advocate of government regulation of everything, honestly. In this case, however, I think it's proven essential that governments need to do something about this. It's the Wild West online. People can do whatever the hell they want. There are no, there are essentially no penalties for being a bad actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, the, the public needs protection from this. So are there uh, shiny examples out there of people who, are, uh, who don't misbehave or are doing positive things? Oh, yeah. There are, you know, one of the things that, that I want to say is that the advertising supported web, it's very important for the web to be supported by advertising. All the things that we get for free that we love, for example, this Zoomcast, right? Uh, and, and other, you know, Facebook has some wonderful products that we like to use. Google has wonderful products that we like to use and we get them for free. It's not, it's not 100% bad, but there are problems that need to be addressed. There, there are, you know, there are organizations who are, who are trying to clean this stuff up. We need an ad supported web because all the things we get for free we get because these companies make money from advertising. Mm-hmm. The problem is not advertising per se. The problem is tracking. If we can stop them from tracking individuals, if we can stop them from spying on all the, on all the uh, um, activities that we do, where we go, who we talk to, that, that will go a long way toward solving these problems. So on one side, you have the uh, advertisers who as you said, don't seem to be able to regulate themselves. But what about the other side and the companies like Google and Facebook? And Google, ironically, whose motto used to be, I don't know if it still is, don't be evil. Why aren't they taking a stance and saying, well, we're going to clean that up? Because it seems to me that it would be in their best interest to do so as well. It seems that seems to be true to me, too, except for some reason they won't do it. And I don't know why. I don't I mean, they make enough money. Lord knows. I don't know why they won't clean up their reputation by stop, stopping the, you know, there, there was a, an article in the paper yesterday about YouTube, about a, a company that, that helps, there's a company that works with marketers mm-hmm. to make sure that what appears on YouTube appears in the right places, okay? So, so th- their job is, is to make sure that there isn't a brand problems with where the, the, the stuff runs. And, and Google that owns YouTube is fighting these people about transparency. It won't let them do certain things that they want to do to know where their clients' ads are running. I don't know why they would fight that. What, what do they have to lose by being transparent? Obviously, they're hiding things. The same is true in Facebook. Facebook is just terrible when it comes to their, um, when it comes to their transparency. When, you know, they're, they're such liars. The, the, the metrics that they have put out are such a joke. Everyone knows they're a joke. Everyone in the business who's, who's half awake knows that Facebook numbers are, may I say bullshit on this cast? Absolutely. I swear a lot too, so. <laughs> Everyone knows that Facebook's numbers are bullshit. And yet, they're allowed to keep going. Nobody, I, I, I don't understand it. it. It makes no sense to me. It sounds like we're, it would be the equivalent of dealing with a compulsive liar who's being 
um, found out all the time and yet doesn't stop lying. It's kind of baffling to me. Yeah. It's amazing to me that the advertising industry that spends half a trillion dollars a year on advertising is being bullied by these two companies and won't stand up to them. It's just, it's astounding. So, so what are, are there solutions you can think of or you've seen people talk about or that are being implemented? Cause um, I don't think we'll get rid of Google overnight or anytime soon, No, but uh, for yeah, all- there's, there, there are some, the biggest solution, the number one thing we can do to end their tyranny is to outlaw third party tracking. In other words, not allow them to track us and sell that information to other people or to have other people be able to track us on their websites. That's the number one thing mm -hmm. that we can do. And um, the GDPR in Europe took a first step toward that, but it seems like the implementation has been terrible. There doesn't seem to be anything serious going on that's, that's really preventing the amount of tracking uh, in, in, a, in a way that is effective. So that has been disappointing to me, but we need to end tracking. That's the key thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you, so according to you, that would only happen if uh, government regulated that. Yeah, you know, the, the ideal thing would be for consumers to rise up and say, we're not gonna do business with you. We're not gonna go to any websites. We're not gonna do business with you if you track us. That would be ideal, but that's not gonna happen. The second, the next best thing would be for marketers to say, we're not going to buy advertising from you. We're not going to deal with you if you track. That's not going to happen. So what we're left with is governments to say, stop spying on people. Mm -hmm. that, that's the... That makes a lot of that, sense. That's so, where I think it's going to go. go ahead. I'd like to step away a little bit from the yeah. digital um, side of advertising and talk about advertising more from a creative perspective. Yeah. Um, why is 90% of advertising pure shit like what i'm saying is you see a good example is um car companies all the ads look the same they say the same thing and maybe it doesn't appeal to me because i'm not the target market for infinity or acura or whatever but um why is it, there seems to be such a dearth of creativity in the mainstream ad world yes yeah. especially in light of the fact that the most creative campaigns and i think that can be backed by numbers are the ones who have uh, made the the advertisers very successful. I'm um, yeah. thinking, for example, about the um, "You're not you when you're hungry" by Snickers. Yep. So why is that? There are a number of reasons. First reason is it's very hard to do good advertising. Um, it's it's not that easy. You know, you say why isn't it more creative? Very difficult to create good advertising. You'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason there are so many crappy TV shows and crappy movies and crappy books and crappy music because producing good stuff is really, really hard. It's way harder than you think it is. Mm -hmm. That's reason number one. Number two is that the advertising industry has become obsessed with data rather than creativity. And the, the, the advertising industry is spending all its time on technology and metrics and data collection as in, and is investing nothing in creativity. The, they, they, the advertising industry needs to find and hire creative talent if it's going to be more creative than it is. And they're not investing the time and money in doing that. That's the second reason. Mm -hmm. The third reason is that 
inside marketing organizations, you have people making decisions about what advertising should run and what they want their advertising to say that shouldn't be making those decisions. Mm -hmm. They are not creative people. They are people with MBAs who are not trained and do not understand how creativity works. And, and as a result, they're very logical thinkers. And in business, you are taught, in business school, you are, thought, you are taught to think logically. That there is, um, you do A and as a result, B happens. And that kind of logic doesn't work in creativity. Creativity is not a logic exercise. It's an exercise in imagination. It's an exercise in, in, in hunches. And, uh, and that doesn't sit well with business people. Business people don't want your hunches. They don't want your imagination. They want facts. They, they, you know, they, they, they want uh, cause and effect. If I do this, what will be there? Well, nobody knows the effect. But we do know that advertising that has creative uh, foundations to it is likely to be more successful than advertising that doesn't. Doesn't mean that every ad that is brilliantly creative is successful. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that because there are plenty of brilliantly creative ad campaigns that have failed, but it's a question of probability. What is more likely to be successful in advertising? And the, and the answer is that the two most likely things to be successful are A, spending tons of money, or B, being creative. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are the two things that create the highest likelihood of success in advertising. So um, what happens is you have companies spending tons of money doing uncreative advertising, but at least it, you know, it does something. It keeps their name in the public sphere. But it's a giant waste of money in the sense that if they were running creative, if they were running advertising with an idea behind it, and uh, uh, advertising that appealed to people as human beings, mm -hmm. it, it has a much higher likelihood of being successful. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've bitched about uh, Charmin's uh, fluffy bears and how annoying <laughs> they are, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a book that I read uh, quite recently called The Tyranny of Metrics that speaks about that, um, mm -hmm. that people spend too much time and energy and resources on focusing on collecting and analyzing data. And uh, a big part of that book talks about how a lot of big businesses have replaced uh, people who knew what they were doing. So, for example, in the car industry, uh, Detroit used to be run by car people. Yeah. People who loved and enjoyed cars and, you know, went to the racetrack on the weekends and replaced them with MBAs who were all about efficiency and making things run better, but had no understanding of what it means to love cars. And so that's just an example among many, but I think it's interesting because it speaks to that creative side that you just described. Um, so because you've experienced advertising before the digital age and after, what has uh, what has changed that brought us to where we are today, and what was different then that um, has been lost that we would be uh, um, it would be good to bring back? Well, um, I don't want to pretend like advertising before the digital age was some kind <laughs> of brilliant, wonderful land of uh, you know fantasy land. It wasn't. Ninety percent of advertising has always been crappy. The problem is that now 95% of advertising is crappy, which means there's 50% less really good advertising that, than there used to be. Mm -hmm. What has changed is, um, I think, the short-term focus that, let's call it clickonomics, that marketers are obsessed with how many clicks they're getting from there. That's how they measure success, how many clicks they're getting from ads. 
uh, and they are to some degree unaware of the long-term effect. The, 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 the average chief marketing officer now just lasts, I don't know, two years, I don't know what the average time is for, what the lifespan for a chief marketing officer is these days, but it's not very long. And when, and when your success is being measured in weeks and months, you have very little incentive to, to think about what's gonna happen in years. And building brands successfully, which is the number one job of advertising, is to build successful brands. Mm -hmm. it takes years, it takes time, it takes patience, and nobody seems to have the time and patience these days. And a great deal of money that used to go toward the, the um, goal of building successful brands long-term has been detoured into getting clicks short-term. And this, I think, is one of the biggest changes that has happened in the advertising industry. We've become much more short-term oriented than we used to be. And I think that's reflected in a number of ways, including what we just discussed, the absence of creativity in a lot of what's happening in the advertising world these days. That's very interesting. And I think the, uh, the idea of advertising as a brand building tool is a fascinating one. So to, uh, to relate that a little more to my audience, which is primarily small businesses and, and, and um, creative people in the architecture and design industry, obviously those guys don't advertise or don't have a huge advertising budget. So what would you recommend to them to build an effective brand that will hopefully outlast them and, and create a lot of value in the long term? I think the most important, ad, now I don't know, let me preface anything I say by saying I know nothing about the architecture industry, although my, both my father-in-law and mother-in-law were architects, but still I know nothing about the business of architecture and, or the architecture industry. But as a general rule, the key, the first thing you have to do if you're going to build a successful brand is differentiation or distinction. How are you different from the thousands of other architects out there. How are you distinct? What is your distinction compared to the other thousands of architects out there? That it's a hard thing to, to do, but when you do it, it, it helps you stand out from the pack. The, the, the one thing you don't wanna be is just another architecture firm or a small business in a zillion, you know, among a zillion other small architects. You need to either specialize in something or be especially good at something. And, you know, maybe it's the creativity of what you do. Maybe it's the, um, the, the, the your cost struck, that, that you can do the same thing for less money. It makes sense, but I feel vindicated because those are things I've been talking about for a long time, but good. the architecture industry is notorious for uh, being undifferentiated, like from A, B, and C all look and sound the same. There's a very homogeneous um, kind of culture. And this, you know, you know what's funny? The same is true in the advertising yeah. industry. You'd think that advertising agencies, of all people in the world, would understand the importance of differentiation. And yet, you go to any agency website and it says exactly the same. They, they all say they sound the same, they look the same. It's amazing. Well, here's a puzzle for you. Why don't advertisers yeah. advertise? Or advertising agencies advertise? Adver no. The, the, Advertising agencies don't get business by advertising per se. They have a tiny, you know, the, the number of people they're trying to influence is tiny. They, you know, doing mass media advertising for an agency 
is uh, would be a tremendous waste of money because what percent of the people are they trying to influence to to come to them to advertise one hundredth of one tenth of one percent mm -hmm. that you know that's it that doesn't mean that advertising agencies can't be successful at advertising there are you know there was a great agency called Chaya Day mm -hmm. uh, and they had a very great advertising campaign about themselves and there have been other terrific ad agencies who've done terrific ad campaigns about themselves now you you wouldn't see it because you're not in the advertising because it's done in advertising trade magazines mm -hmm. it's done in advertising websites like that but there are examples of advertising agencies that do that they just don't do general mass market advertising because it's um it's inefficient for them. that makes sense that makes a lot of sense so i want to i want to end this interview with one like last question um oh there's gonna be a zinger i can tell you, <laughs> how do you know if you, <laughs> I can if tell. you were back yeah. in your early days what would you tell your younger self yeah. to do differently i would tell myself to stay on the creative side of the business don't go into the management side i at an early i i, I was a pretty good creative person i was a pretty good copywriter um, and I was in a small agency. We started to do very well. And part of our success was because I was doing some good ads. Um, and then I got promoted to be creative director of the agency. You know, I was just a junior copywriter. I, I, I got promoted to be creative director of the agency, which was a lot of fun. And I had a creative department that I managed and that we were doing good work and doing very well. And then I got promoted to be like president of the agency. Mm -hmm. And that was too flattering to turn down, you know? <laughs> but what it did was it took me away from the creative side of the business. And I never really became as good creatively as I wanted to become. Because, you know, to be honest, in, in the advertising business, the creative part is the only part that I ever enjoyed. The rest of it was torture. You know, going to meetings and, and you know, kissing up the clients and all that stuff. It's, it's tough, grinding mm -hmm. work. Making ads can be fun. Yeah. But the, all the other stuff is not that much fun. At least it wasn't for me. So I wound up getting into, you know, I became president of the agency, then I became CEO. And, you know, I, I tried to keep my fingers in the creative part of it, but I didn't really focus on the creative part of it. And if I did, I think I could have become a lot better at, at what I did than, than the, be, the best I ever achieved was pretty good. I think I could have achieved more if I had stayed on the creative side. Now, there's also money factors. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I did, I did very nicely uh, running the agencies that I ran. So, you know, I'm not going to pretend that money didn't play a part. Well, there's definitely a parallel between that and the architectural world where when people move up the ladder, they become, you know, partners, managers, and then they end up managing things and they don't create anymore. So yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of, yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities between architecture and advertising. I think you're right. There is. Uh, so Bob, it's been a, a, an immense pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it was great interview and uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Arno, and I uh, hope everyone up there is healthy and, you know, staying safe and uh, good luck to you. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Follow us on social media at revelator underscore T-O. It's R-E-V-E-L-A-T-E-U-R underscore T-O. Until next time, ciao.